0: Welcome to episode 548 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we feature a wonderful conversation with artist and scholar Julie Cantor. We talk with Julie from her place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, about how she came to poetry. Isaac Asimov, the unknowable, the untraceable idea, the friction between virtual and reality, weird punishment, Emily Dickinson, Walt Whitman, singing and playing guitar, friends and crazy thoughts, being curious, atonement liberal capitalism and its denials, dystopian nightmares, reality TV, fascism, and the perfect bubble, among other things. A grand conversation with Julie Cantor this go-round. We also have two E.W. poetic pieces. Eliza is the first one you'll hear, and English professor is the next one. All of this, of course, will be infused, imbued with the wonderful energy of several great tunes. It is so nice to be with you. Let's get to it, then. Episode 548 of Troubadours and Rock-On Tours. Whole Boken Trails to the Los Angeles music scene, the troubadour with some capitalist whore and Sigmund Freud sitting in between, Savannah Penn, a descendant of William, might lend a helping hand. The continent's vast plain of land incorporates all of our plans, to live forever eternal. Zen waves of magic whisper deepness and savage as Eliza stands in her grandmom's flower field waving us away. She will work outside with her own breath and thoughts warm in the sun today.
1: in your brain anger you retain pressure rocks you like a hurricane Is a time for you to jump into the next train change of hand make a stand I can see your heart change wake, wake up. up no more nap your turn is coming up you feel lazy but stop the fantasies and bubble dust. if you need to hear go for it I will teach you how to feel the things up so close to you connect it all every day is a miracle connect back with the people and all the people you miss Cyberheads, you should think twice Cause they will make your brain melt New device, better price, keep you feeling impressed Stop it all, every day we live a miracle Unpredictable, you don't need an upgrade anymore Can't you see the link? Don't worry, I will teach you how to take the pill To feel the thrill and touch it all
0: Cantor, is that you?
2: It is. Hello.
0: So nice to have you on troubadours and rock on tours.
2: Oh, thank you so much for asking me. When I got the message, my first thought, always when I get messages like this, is, are they sure they are meaning to ask me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I
0: know that imposter syndrome. I know that.
2: <laughs> oh yes, yes, uh, yes. I have it too. That's what they call it,
0: that's right. No, we're excited to have you on the program. And before we get started, let me share a little background information with the listeners. Julie Cantor is an artist and scholar living in Philadelphia. Her chapbook, Land, was published by Dikembe Press, and her poems have appeared in Boston Review, A Public Space, L.A. Review of Books, Quarterly Journal, and elsewhere. Her work has been translated in Ukrainian, anthologized, and she is on the board of directors for Cuneiform Press. Troubadours and Rock Cantors is very happy to have on the program Julie Cantor. So, how's it going today? Are you in Philly?
2: I am in Philly today. Um, I am a lot. I move a lot between New York City and Philly because I teach in New York City right now. But today, I am here in Philadelphia.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, they're both great cities, Philly and New York. So you're having a good time, I suppose. Uh.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I am. I mean, the state of the world is definitely upon me today, <laughs> oh, uh, is for it? sure. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What you, but, uh, what's getting to you?
2: Uh. Oh. Just uh. uh what's ha- unfolding in Gaza? Hmm. Yeah. Is, yeah. And um. So I'm actually going to head out today. There's a there's a rally today to call for ceasefire. So I'll be there uh, after we finish talking to each other. Yeah,
0: Excellent. And what, what park is it in?
2: Uh, it's kind of a undisclosed location as of right now, but we're meeting over by uh, the river and, uh, and uh, Walnut. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I know that area generally. I, my, my kids uh, go to school. They like going to school down in Philly. My one, my oh, el- my okay. eldest son and daughter both went to university of the arts and, uh, uh, another one of my sons, he, he studies at the Rock School of Dance there on Broad Street. So. Oh,
2: yeah, it's very close to where I am. I live very close to that here, yeah.
0: Excellent. Well, again, it's nice to have you on the program, and uh, um, I'll be with you in spirit at that uh, event, Calling for a Ceasefire. Uh, and now I'd like to focus on you a little bit for the listeners.
1: Okay. <laughs>
0: your Your background. Your background, you know, uh, tell us a bit about how you got to where you are today and, and when you realized you were a poet.
2: Uh, poetry, I'm kind of, I think I'm very lucky. Uh, I'm very, very lucky because poetry came to me when I was a kid. Uh, I was about, uh, I was always really, music is my kind of like other deep investment. I really uh, split my mind and uh, between the two And so through music and lyrics, I think was really kind of how poetry first came to me. But then when I was eight, I encountered a poem in my dad's Isaac Asimov magazine. And I remember reading it and not really knowing or understanding what it was about or, or what was even happening in it. But just being so deeply curious and drawn to it. And that just from there uh, set me on a path to know more. Um, and I started writing my own poetry when I was a kid. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, I hear you. I I, I have a, I had a I had a similar experience. And um, yeah, there's something fascinating about poetry uh, to this day in terms of how it just breaks down barriers in in terms of you know, what you can and cannot do with the written word with language. It's so compelling and so inspiring.
2: Yes, yes. It is just like, uh, sometimes you, it's very easy to forget, especially with the way that language is used, you know, and the way that we're so inundated with media and, and language and media. And it's really easy, I think, sometimes to forget. And then you go back to poetry uh, and, and that unknowable is there again um yeah
0: i like the unknowable the unknowable being is is that in line in line with the idea of a mystery
2: uh definitely right so like keats negative capability uh is probably like in poetry like the the you know the kind of start of the traceable idea of that um and for me too i think though um The things that I've been invested in in poetry really move me to uh, investigate the unknowable. Or or more, right, like, uh, not even just investigate it, like, kind of wanting to inhabit that. And that being um, a goal of of my poetry or poetry. Something that, yeah, just kind of being in an unknowable space. But um, unknowable spaces then also, right, like, when you encounter them can can elicit to you something that's also very real and knowable at the same time. And I think that is just like a magic of poetry, of like how it merges or how there's always a friction of between the virtual and the and reality, mm-hmm. and how that friction between the virtual and reality and poetry I think is just like poetry's magic, one, one of the many uh, magics of poetry.
0: Oh, I love it. Well stated. Thank you for that, Julie. That was great. And you, you mentioned you're teaching in New York City. What are you teaching?
2: I'm teaching at Queens College right now in English department, which is interesting because also, like, academically, I'm I'm quite split in certain ways. I've taught in English departments, American Studies department. Uh, that's where my Ph.D. Uh, is uh, going to be from. And so uh, right now, though, I teach narrative. And I also teach uh, college writing. So um, uh, teaching in the English department is lovely. I love teaching English. So
0: You probably have a lot of students that are into it too, right?
2: I do. And it's strange because, you know, when you teach college writing, you have a lot of uh, every every person who's sitting in that room is there because they have to be sitting there. It's a requirement of their undergraduate degree. So teaching writing in that kind of space, too, uh, to me is very compelling and I'm very drawn to it because um, how do you engage people or how do you make them invest in writing as like a form of expression when they're just not necessarily right personally invested in it you're personally invested in it, right? Like I'm, it's my life, but like I, you know, pe- a lot of people live every day without encountering literature, encountering, you know, certainly poetry. Um, and so sometimes in those spaces that, those kinds of, um, uh, I don't know, disinterest in writing can be very, for me, um, moving and engaging.
0: A disinterest. Did I hear that right?
2: Yeah. I mean, some students definitely have a disinterest in writing.
0: But that's sure. moving and engaging for you.
2: Yes, because you, you know, especially as an educator, then my job is to, is to figure out what that is mm. um, and why that is. And usually the why has a lot to do with them not valuing their self-expression or they're never really having a space or seeing seeing academic writing, especially academic writing, as a space for self expression, only seeing it as a space for essentially right, like kind of a weird kind of punishment for never <laughs> for never meeting the mark, right? For never quite achieving that perfect quote unquote right, like academic voice. Yeah,
0: yeah, I love it. Oh man, you must be a great professor. Um, so, let me get back a little bit further. Are you an East Coast? kid were you born i am with, yeah
2: i i am definitely east coast kid yeah i'm born uh new york i grew up uh, you're gonna know where i'm from minute i say it i grew up on long island um uh, in east meadow like
0: mm-hmm.
2: i don't know if you know long island but the way my I... wife's
0: from long island yeah
1: Belmore. oh
2: we're ah oh, very close yes that is actually extremely close to where i grew up um i always tell people depending on on just kind of what they know you know like hostra or Levittown, because especially from American mm-hmm. Studies, coming from American Studies Department, you know, a lot of people know where Levittown is. Um, and so, yeah, that's where I grew up. I did my undergraduate in New York. Um, I did actually uh, then two graduate degrees in New York as well. Yeah.
0: Excellent, excellent. And um, when you mentioned when you were a kid getting into poetry early on, and and then... Did, did you seek out certain poets? or? Did...
2: Oh, yeah. I, I mean, I think it's fair to say I became obsessed with Emily Dickinson by the time, you know, probably I was about like 11 or, and definitely by 12, 11, 12, by eighth grade. Um, and there's uh, by eighth grade, too, uh, we had to present, you know, on an author. And so I dressed in all white. And I procured the one woman show, The Bell of Amherst by William Luce. Uh, my mom, thank, thank goodness she indulged me, was able to find like an old copy, an old edition at like a used bookstore um, because it was no longer in print. And I stood in front of the class in my all white and I gave a monologue, or part of the monologue uh, from the, the Bell of Amherst. Yeah, I was, I still think Emily Dickinson is just. Um, for me, always going to be everything in terms of poetry.
0: I, I, I can understand why. That's that's. And how old were you when you did that? In you? <laughs> I was,
2: I was probably like 11, 12, I would say. How yeah. did
0: your peers respond?
2: You know, I they responded really well. I I definitely remember growing up feeling like I was different than everyone else, but grew up in a space that still, I look back on it, I think it was really strange, where um, my strangeness or weirdnesses were very well accepted by my friends and my peers. Um, and as I got more strange, it did not seem to affect my sociability, Um Which I always kind of wonder about, and sometimes I still do even, you know, many years later. But yeah.
0: um, Like wondering if why they were compelled by the strangeness, because they liked it or because it was an oddity, something like that?
2: Yeah, just or also too, just how kind of nonplussed they always were as well. Yeah.
0: Maybe you weren't as weird as you thought. (laughs) Yeah, maybe.
2: (laughs) One thing I have definitely realized as I've gotten older, right, is that our thoughts about ourselves are often very different than people's perception of of us.
0: Yeah, true. That's for sure. That's for sure. That's a great insight. Now, um, what was I going to ask you? So. You're you're from Long Island, and uh, a lot of great artists come out of Long Island. By the way, right, or have been associated with Long Island. I I think of a street poet, Lou Reed, and I think of Uh. Walt Whitman. You know, I mean, oh yeah. um, Have you gone in either one of those two directions in your in your?
2: uh, Oh yeah, I mean, for me, Whitman um, is someone who maybe also just because of my education. Uh, was someone that I had to engage with, and then have definitely chosen on my own to engage with over the years as well. I can't say though that like I feel uh, like he's a voice. Like there are certain voices that I think are just I'm, I'm constantly going back to or consistent or consistently there for me. He's not someone though who I turn to consistently, um, but someone who I've studied, who I've written many an academic paper on. Um, so maybe really only understand him from that angle, mm-hmm. more from someone who would be uh, more, you know, someone who's like invested deeply in his work.
0: Excellent. And and I, I guess Emily Dickinson, as you mentioned already, is someone you always go back to.
2: Uh, yes, always. Um, I also had the pleasure of, of, of taking a course uh, in my MFA On her, uh, but most of my love and and, uh, for her has just been my, you know, just constant rereading, constant, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, So you're you're uh, learning that you really love poetry since you're about eight years old, and and you're uh, performing for your peers in uh, elementary school, middle school, and such. How, did you know then at, at some point that you are uh, were going to pursue being a published poet yourself and maybe get into, uh, you know, uh, the academics of it as well? Or were you just kind of floating around and it, it all kind of happened on its own?
2: Ah. Uh. I, in my undergraduate, I studied writing literature, and then right after my undergraduate, I got a one-year fellowship to, to continue studying literature um, at Columbia. And at the time, I was playing music pretty much full-time, and so uh, for many years, music kind of took over for a while. What do you play? Uh, at the, uh, I play many instruments. Uh, most of what I do in, is sing and play guitar.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: In in all the bands that I uh, went on to per- participate in, and so that that's always been like an, a hard thing for me to balance is how much I absolutely need to write poetry and live in a world of poetry, but also how much I need to make music and and make music with other people and hear music and and just like be around music constantly. And so after my undergraduate, I kind of switched gears for a while to just music. Um, And, and I'm very much like an of the moment person. Mm -hmm. And so I moved to the West coast and I was playing music and I was like, Oh, you know, I think I'm going to take this graduate writing class at Portland state university just to, you know, just to, you know, kind of see what's going on with writing. Um, Again, or more, you know, more deeply investigated because I miss it in my life. Like right? I'm feeling its absence, and so I take that class, and then I'm like, "Oh yes, I'm gonna take. I'm gonna apply for an MFA." Uh, and so I switch gears back to kind of switch gears, and then back to poetry.
0: And what what, um, what, what are we talking, What decade is this?
2: This is 2009.
0: Gotcha. Thank you
2: yeah 2009 so after many years just playing music living on the west coast uh that's when i moved back to the east coast at columbia and uh started my mfa there
0: i'm with you on uh, you mentioned earlier how music and songs they in their own right are little little uh vignettes or uh, you know uh, of of poet, poetic writing when the kind of songs that i like at least uh, and there's so many of them and they're just all around you if you want, you know, like I'm yes. constantly listening to music and uh, it, it does help me. It, it does help me focus. It helps inspire me. It helps me lament everything.
2: Yes. Yeah. I mean, uh, for, I, like I engage with music so kind of like there's like a seamlessness to like how I'm moved by music where language and writing, it just works differently. Like, language and ri- writing requires different things of our cognitive abilities, of our senses. Music is, right, just so visceral. Like, Paul Valery, you know, the French poet, thinker, <laughs> mm-hmm. really thought that music was, in a way, right, the purest of art because it just engaged, you know, gauged us in ways that other forms just can't quite get to because of the translations and, and things that our brain and our body has to do, you know, for things that we're sensorily taking in through our eyes or, um, you know, in, you know, looking at visually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, for me, I, there's just something, you know, I, I, I love poetry. I, I, obviously, like I said, it's magic too, but there's something about music that is different. That is just, that can uh, just, Swallow you whole, uh, before you know it.
0: Mm-hmm. I I totally understand what you're talking about, and um, let me and thank you for sharing that. Let me ask you about we mentioned a little a little bit already of, of some of your your more favorite poets, but you more specifically some of your influences, and then let's get into your poetry and 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 how uh, it fo- what it focuses on.
2: Um. For me, I think like uh, my influences. I am like a voracious reader. I read a lot and a lot of different things, um, and and also too, my my friends are just like key for me because uh, when I have that crazy thought, I feel safe to say to them, "Hey, I have this crazy thought of this thing that I'm thinking of doing." But it feels weird, and then they are always like, "Oh yes, of course you're going to go do this thing now. <laughs> <laughs> like, of course, like this is the thing to do." Then, and I think having people in your life who give to you like that, um, just so freely and wholly, um, is as an artist just like a, just. A, unbearably lucky thing to have in my life, definitely, um, yeah,
0: so your friends influence you or inspire oh, yeah. you or or they they nurture in many ways your indulgences to a certain extent <laughs> right?
2: yes, very much, very much so <laughs> <laughs> mine
0: too yes yeah thank thank thankfully, we have those kinds of folks in our lives, yes,
2: yeah. yeah, um, I think that like to be curious in the world we live is so hard, but like, I want to be so curious and I want to live right. Kind of splayed to what might be, you know, available to me or what I might be able to see differently. And I think people who uh, are going to hold you no matter kind of what you venture into is just like, yeah, so, so, uh, it's just, it's just, I think like the most beautiful thing kind of about being alive, right? Like, mm. yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're your brothers and sisters really, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah.
0: And, you know, were you going to say something?
2: Oh, I was just going to say for me too, um, like for my poetry, especially like I, I'm just very invested. This is kind of a strange thing, but I'm very invested in, in like reality, uh and the construction of reality um and especially how that gets constructed between people um and I think having two just like really honest friends um and and people who uh, like just hold you in those ways uh lets me kind of like plumb and explore things that are are scary or um are like deeply sad um which uh, yeah which are really important
0: to me i i get what you mean they're actually they're like buoys you know or mm. your friends they keep you or, or in some ways they're they help you more yourself I'm oh using, yeah i'm using all these oceanic uh <laughs> but, yeah but uh you you mentioned where you were where you go with your poetry i you know i guess I, i'm gonna i'm gonna guess uh Relationships, justice, things of that nature.
2: Yes, I uh, like. Well, for me too. I think uh, for a while I'm usually swimming in things, but then I'll find some kind of idea, some concept uh, that I that just becomes in a way like the center of that that web of thought that I can't like not hold on to as I'm moving forward. It's just right, like always in some part of my mind. Um, and so for me right now, I've been, wor- you know, I've been working on a project for a while uh, that's uh, focused on uh, atonement, um, specifically from Judaism uh, to uh And I'm just very, like how in this moment that we're living, do we atone and not just to others, but to ourselves, um, maybe to ourselves, especially. And so a lot, a lot of the times for me, once I have that, like thought, that concept, it's just there. And then everything, you know, springs out and then back, you know, back, back into it, I guess, too. Yeah.
0: When you say atonement and, and we need to atone, atone for what do you think?
2: Um, Especially for someone who, uh, me who's who's atheist or agnostic, maybe. Um, but
0: um, I'm with you, sister. I'm there. I
2: think you know, especially like my scholarship. You know, a lot of times I I think for a long time my scholarship and my my poetry were very separate. But I think now, especially that I'm finishing my dissertation, my scholarship and and some of the real takeaways, or you know, that I can't not think about have have kind of merged with my poetic thinking and so um when i say to i think atonement i think um you know kind of like the denials that neoliberal capitalism require every single person to undertake on a daily basis in order to survive and how in every denial that we have to engage or undertake, we move further away from ourselves and toward, right. What I think is quite different than the self, which is the individual. Um, Selves to me are, are, are things that are of our bodies that are connected, you know, to other selves. Whereas in like a neoliberal world, you know, the individual is on their own. And they're isolated and they're alienated and um, they don't have community and they don't have uh, care. And uh, for me, you know, when you said justice, I think that is really kind of central to how I'm really investigating or not investigating how I'm feeling my way through these ideas in in the new poetry I've been writing.
0: Oh, I love the way you put all of that. That was wonderful. And, and you know, as you mentioned, you know, the liberal capitalism that we uh, engage on a daily basis here in the West, in the United States in particular, and how you, you know, you're, if you're successful, you're a rugged individualist, quote unquote, right? That's championed being an,
2: exactly yes,
0: and you're alone. And you yes, don't you're it, alone. Yes. And you want to be it seems that's the that's the the uh, the end goal and and that makes you tough for something. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, the untouchable, right? Like I right the untouchable rich white man, right? right? Like Musk, Trump. Like these people are venerated because they are rich and untouchable because ultimately they can do whatever they want with no accountability, right? Like um and that is what we champion, right? In, in the scarcity mindset that the American dream has become, right? Like if somebody has something great, it means that somebody else has to have nothing. Mm,
0: zero sum. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's really small minded and narrow and depressing, <laughs>
2: really? Yes. 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 Welcome to American <laughs> Studies. <laughs> dystopian Nightmares. Yes. Um, uh, yeah. Studying American Studies will definitely fill your dystopian nightmares for a lifetime. Um, yes. And so for me, I think that's, I think finally, or not finally, but maybe so, uh, my scholarship has impinged or has merged or alighted with uh, my poetic concerns. and um, and so that's how i I came to that idea of atonement, um, uh, and especially through Judaism, because I am Jewish, uh, and it just right? Like, um, yeah, it just felt also time for me maybe to investigate that or to look more into what that means for me. Um, and my place in the world, especially, right? Like, any person who's writing has to be considerate of the subjective views that they're bringing to whatever it is that they're writing.
0: And those subjective Jewish uh, beliefs, are they steeped in religion? Or are they steeped in culture? Or are they overlapping?
2: I would say, I I would say for this work, they're overlapping. I am not someone who... Uh, Studied Judaism, I don't know Hebrew, Uh, I have, I was lucky enough in 2019 to be awarded a fellowship to the Yiddish Book Center for a one-week writing seminar, and uh, that fellowship uh, followed a trip to Europe that I took, uh, where just being where I was in Europe, just it's, you know, my family is Jewish, Uh, all of my family is Jewish and being in Europe and just doing the basic kind of research that's available to you in like the Jewish museums in Berlin. You know, my family has, you know, long, long Jewish history uh, and uh, that I don't really know anything about, but that I know is there. um, And that I, you know, I, I feel through my family history Right, my local family history too. The way that um, the local and the global, um, you know, can't be extracted from each other, especially now.
0: Right, especially now. And you know, yeah. I, I, it, oftentimes I find cultural and religious they are overlapping for sure. Oh I, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, you said you look at the past and the subjectivity. In your world view, that is influenced by being someone who's raised Jewish, right? I was raised Catholic, Italian, American Catholic, and I definitely have my views, and I don't like them. You know, I don't. <laughs> uh, most of them, I don't like. I really don't. Um, the people you love—they're your community, they're your family—but then when you look at a lot of what you were brought to or was. And what was fed to you by that same yeah. community, I, get re- I do, I get resentful sometimes.
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, that's why in some ways it's kind of like I think about my upbringing and it, I didn't have some of the the frictions in my life that I have definitely had being Jew um, and encountering anti-Semitism. Um, but because I grew up in New York, right? There's the large, you know, outside of Israel, that's the largest Jewish population in the world. Um, yeah, I my
0: my wife said in her community, it was Jewish and Italian largely. Yes,
2: yes, yes. And it's, it's funny because one of my, good, one of my friends is Italian and we talk a lot about how New York Jews and Italians are very similar culturally. And, mm-hmm. and it, it's true. It's because a lot of like the family tradition that come, you know, that come are very similar. Like they're very tight knit family cultures. That You know, and, and certain things that come, you know, the Italian mother and the Jewish mother, right? Like those kinds mm-hmm. of, <laughs> yeah, they're not, they're not sometimes that far off from each other. And so, yeah, especially in New York, you could feel those residences between, between the communities for sure. Um but, yeah, for me, so growing up in New York, it, you know, I, I, to be honest with you, I never thought about my Judaism. I I grew up with a very atheist socialist father, and my mom is not necessarily atheist, but like, definitely not someone who's religious. And so I didn't really grow up thinking about my Jewishness at all. It hasn't been until maybe, like I said, oh, yeah, when I traveled to Europe, and especially um Uh, going to a concentration camp um, kind of culminated the European trip that I had been on after already being in Prague um, and seeing the Jewish cemetery there and then, you know, just kind of recognizing or just not, yeah, recognizing this is part of my identity whether I want to acknowledge it or not. So what happens when I acknowledge it? And that's actually what drove me to apply for that fellowship at the Yiddish Book Center. Um, And I recently within, you know, this year have been attending um, synagogue, uh, some Fridays, and also queer uh, Torah study to just do some more investigation of it from the religious side as well.
0: Well, you mentioned the subjectivity that you come to, uh, I guess, situations that you have, and you that is influenced by being Jewish. Uh, Where were you going with that? I kind of redirected you. Were you saying that you're coming to terms with that or you embrace that or that you're trying to analyze?
2: Yeah, like recognizing that. It's like I think, you know, we become like there's so, you know, especially for me because I really, like if someone asks me, how do you identify? My first answer is always going to be artist. Mm -hmm. Then after artist, probably, you know, scholar. Then daughter friend right like d- uh, like jewish would not be for for many years what i might say to you in any way that i would think about it myself um but regardless of sometimes right like how you think about yourself there are still histories that you're a part of that existed <laughs> that whether you acknowledge them or not were there and your family right has has this uh deep connection to it and i think what probably likely uh, garn what pushed all this or propagated all this too, was uh, my, my, P- my studies, of you know, PhD, being in American studies, studying cultural studies, studying cultural ant- anthropology, and just remembering, especially watching Trump be elected as I was teaching a course on reality TV, right? Like <laughs> we must remember history. We are as, you know, humans are just so good at, at, taking the parts of information that we want and leaving the rest behind. So how in that moment, right, especially now, is me kind of, in, you know, at least how I see it, me engaging my Judaism, kind of saying, yeah, like, I'm going to look at my my history and be accountable to my own histories at the very least.
0: Right. And and accountable, I guess, are you now alluding to Israel?
2: Um yeah i mean i in this moment for me um it it's painful to be jewish for many reasons one right we see the massive rise in anti-semitism that began when trump was elected that has now just continued and increased and then of course like the use of jewish fragility right to uh you know to propel and support uh State violence that is uh, genocidal, yeah, mm-hmm. that is genocide. Mm-hmm. Um, right, like nobody who believes in a ceasefire is, you know, as someone, right, like it, it's interesting in this moment, unless I say explicitly, like, of course, like no to Hamas, but also, right, like, no to Netanyahu and any fascist, right? Um, yeah, right. yeah and that, and as a Jew, especially, right, like, how do i as a as a, as a self being accountable to the people around me how is part of that accountability saying as you know i am jewish and as a jew especially like i i do not i do not believe in this i do not support this and i'm also right going to be on the streets to to make sure that people know i don't support this
0: yeah and and you know Oftentimes, we're not allowed all those nuances, right? That's the thing. No,
2: no. Pe- we. You know, that's why I think for me, too, teaching literature is such a wonderful thing because it's so simple what literature does, right? We're told since we're little kids picking up books, like, literature helps you connect to yourself. But I think in this moment, like, it's so necessary, important to connect to the self because everything around us like i was saying is trying to disconnect us from ourselves, trying to flatten us out um and and especially too and just like the excessive commodity culture right like telling us that if we just you know buy this or buy that and that everything will just work itself out
0: yeah oh my gosh those messages are constantly coming at me and it's hard not to be affected by them, you know. It really is 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 hard. And you were talking about uh, atonement and accountability to a certain extent, uh, based on your your uh, religion and your your I guess DNA. I don't even know how to all the categorizations that we we use to to divide ourselves confuses mm. me you know but at the same time it does help us identify as you're talking about very eloquently what influences us what makes us yeah. who we are but you know it 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 is it is interesting where uh it, it all ends ends up when you look at western civilization and being accountable and atoning as a citizen of the United States, generally yes. speaking, you know,
2: yes,
0: uh, we have a huge influence on the rest of this world.
2: 100%. Yeah. And especially to, uh, I, I don't really, I am a academic, I'm a scholar, but I also t- should, you know, I use those terms like very um, hesitantly, you know, I'm reticent about, about their usage because, you know, I think they're, you um, scholarship and the academic institution right um has a, a strange part in kind of in um step in. we're like they we've lost responsibility of what education in America is and what it should do and can do and said what a lot of our universities kind of have become for me like don't don't offer those things anymore um Those things being what controversy No, I think for me, just like, you know, the ways that education could focus on, right, like a democratic civic education, and that could just be the focus as opposed to like professionalization and, and, um, right, like the kind of like, uh, career making driven, like every, like how instead of education, its goal being critical thought and community engagement and right like all of the tenets of democratic you know civic education that used to right like uphold uh, education in america instead of right like kind of like we were talking about before like how do you be that rugged individualist entrepreneur and you know use this education as like a way to get some internship to get right like how everything instead of being uh curious and exploratory and a space for someone to figure out who they are and all of the you know and all the going to whitman right the multitudes that we contain right like um we don't have space in our culture to do that and that's why i'm also drawn to atonement because atonement is about right like kind of like forcing a space for yourself to reflect
0: beautifully stated wonderful Julie Cantor here on Troubadours and Rock On Tours that was wonderful thank you
2: oh (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) no hang time yeah and
0: and, uh, we're we're just about um, we have to talk again we're just about done because I only have so much time for a segment Uh, do you want to try to you know wrap it all up with uh, a one word solution to all the challenges we face
2: uh tax the rich (laughs) (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I'll support you on that one.
2: Yeah, or, you know, the other one I like to say is to, like, stop buying stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Easier said than done, but I'm with oh, you.
2: Hundred, oh, definitely. Like, again, like, you asked me for the one word, so I gave it to you. But, right, like, that, those one words are the, often the most difficult things. That's why they are the one word.
0: Right. Yeah. And I think you did an awesome job with with the, with the phrases and the words that you chose to... To help us understand how we might do better as a society Because we need to do better And it makes me very happy uh, To know that there are minds like yours In the classroom with young people Helping them nurture their own minds So thank you for doing what you're doing
2: Oh, I mean, I think there's nothing I mean, my friends all know Like, I think I'm my best self when I'm teaching I just think students uh, Being with young people Is just like the best thing um, yeah, like the, like America has a weird thing where we love to like pit generations against each other, right? Like everybody yells boomer and everybody else, like, Oh, millennials are so narcissistic and Gen Z is this. And it's like, America has this weird obsession with pitting generations against each other. But for me, like, I love being around, uh, students. I love being around, uh, just like younger thinkers, um, I just think that we all should be right. Like we all should know people who are like different than us yeah. and, and talk to people who are different than us. Um, it's become so easy in this culture to, to kind of just like consummate the perfect bubble. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and to me, that's why teaching is just always going to be uh, on, you know, kind of, The most important thing, because that's what it hopefully does, right, is that it forces you, whether, you know, sometimes, like I said, with these students, whether they like it or not, um, out of their bubble in in some way. And myself, too, right, out of my bubble.
0: Oh, yeah. If you're a good professor, you're a student right in there with them.
2: Yeah. yeah.
0: So when your next book of poetry comes out, the one that's focusing on atonement, if I'm hearing you right, let us know and we'll talk about it.
2: Oh, yeah. Uh, hopefully, yeah, uh, it will. I have a short chapbook out right now, but hopefully the full book will be done and find a place. Yeah.
0: Excellent. And, and ladies and gentlemen, this again is Julie Cantor, artist and scholar talking with us from her place in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Uh, I guess um, you have a website maybe if people want to go yeah, to. Yeah,
2: it's uh, uh, doc, uh, julie Julie. You know .com, just the regular dot com. Um, and uh, you can find me uh, on Instagram or uh, I don't really use social media very much. Uh, so like finding my email through my website is very much the best way to contact me or find me.
0: Excellent. And, and uh, Julie's last name is K-A-N-T-O-R. Thanks again, Julie. It was a pleasure talking with you today on Troubadours and No, the
2: pleasure was all mine. It was, it was absolutely lovely. You are a great interviewer. Just really, like, just so comfortable. Made me feel comfortable, so thank you.
0: Oh, my pleasure. That means a lot. I'll have an extra spring in my step the rest of the day with that, <laughs> those kind words. Thank you, Julie.
2: No, thank you so much. Yeah. Take care. You too.
1: you
0: Professor. The soul of an empty culture waits in vain for its master to tell them. They won. Alone with the media, transformed by an urban encyclopedia, virtual and on a small screen, the wistful forever teen. Even as the hair gets gray and falls to the drain, they train to do it all better, to sever all connection from an ignorant and sensitive history. Though perhaps righteous, it's tough to know. But one thing tangible still is their empty head and heart, incapable to fulfill the earnest blossoming needs of the people. have it, episode 548 of Troubadours and Tours, with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, Julie Cantor. I also'd like to thank these musical artists. The lonious Monk, Hooray for the Riffraff, Alabama Shakes, Caravan Palace, Terence Blanchard, and Branford Marsalis, too. And of course, I would like to thank you for listening. Until next time, let's give it a go and do our best with this time.